I just remember physically feeling so much love and so much peace. It just came over me so strong that I fell and I was laying there and I was just crying and crying. And it's like I could literally feel the like a presence like on top of me. It was a weight. I couldn't move. And I was just laying there. I was stuck. I was just crying and crying and crying. And I had felt so much love. I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is what I needed. The first encounter that I ever had with God was when I heard him call my name. And I was actually at my grandmother's house mm. and I was climbing up a pine tree and I thought it was my dad calling me. So I quickly cr climbed down because I thought I was like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. I better hurry up and go see what, what he needs. And so I asked, I said, Poppy, did you, you know, did you call me? And he was like, no, I didn't call you. And I was looking around like, okay, who was this that called me? So I go back outside, I climb up the pine tree again and I hear Rosa and I hear the voice call my name again. And this is an audible voice. An audible voice. Wow. Yeah, like I was turning around like there's nobody there's nobody in the neighborhood that knew me. I was a little girl. I was like five. I was mm. five years old. So it was like, it was so crazy for me because like literally I remember after that I could hear this that voice mm. all the time. Like after that moment in my life, now I look back at it, I know that that was God, that was Holy Spirit. But as a child... I had no clue that that was God, you wow. know? But since then, I remember hearing his voice all the time and he would talk to me and tell me things. Did you ever ask anybody? Or did you did you ever have a conversation or did anybody ever have a conversation about, you know, hearing the voice of God? No, I was never taught about it. No, and I didn't really have like knowledge of it. Hmm. I remember going back in the house like, okay, dad, like I hear someone calling my name. Are you sure it's not you? And he was like, no, it's not me. I said, but I hear, like, I was trying to explain to him, like, I'm hearing this. Like, can you help me and, like, understand? And I just remember, like, feeling kind of confused. And that was really it. Hmm. Now, now, Rosa, you have a really powerful testimony that starts at an early, early age. Where would you like to start with your testimony? The most trauma I experienced at such a young age was um, the abuse that was in the house um, and how my father and my mother would fight a lot. And my dad was, you know, physically abusive towards her. And he would be that way towards my sister and I. Sometimes, you know, he would drink and, you know, he would hit us. And and I wouldn't understand why. Like, I didn't, I would get upset and cry like I didn't do anything wrong. Like, I would try to figure out, like, what I did wrong. And I felt like I always had to make him happy, like, when he came home. Like, it was my responsibility to make sure that he was in a good mood. Like, to try to ease the tension in the house, you know. So that, I think, that was, like, really a hard thing to go through. Like mm. with my mom and dad, like fighting all the time. Yeah. Um, you also dealt with sexual abuse? Yeah, my uncle um, molested me. I was five years old when that happened, and it happened until I was about seven. I remember the first time it happened, um, I felt really scared. And he told me that if I told anybody that, um, that I would get spanked. So I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. When, when did you finally get the courage to... Um, to tell anybody? I believe I was 19 when it happened. And my mom and I was like, we were actually in an argument and she was like yelling at me. And she was like, why are you such an angry bee? And I was just like, maybe because my uncle molested me. And I was just like, 
And I didn't realize, like, it just came out. And I didn't even, like, I didn't expect it to come out, but it just came out. And my mom and my dad, they both stared at me and they were like, what did you say? I was like, yeah, it was your brother. Your brother did it. And, like, I just started, like, screaming. And I was crying and crying. And my mom, like, just started hugging me. And she was like, I'm so sorry that happened. And, like, my dad was angry. He called my uncle. And it was, yeah. How did those encounters at an early age, seeing abuse in your household, uh, being abused yourself, mm -hmm. how did that affect your life as you begin to grow up? Because you're also hearing the voice of God, but you're also experiencing all this hurt. What happened next? How, how did this impact your life? I just felt so broken. I was, I always felt sad. Like, and I, I remember always feeling fearful. I was always feeling fear. I felt like... Like the weight of shame was like just so heavy over me mm. um, at such a young age, and I just ha I had a lot of fear. I formed an attraction to the same sex. I liked women at a young age. My first encounter with it with a a girl was I was eight years old. I remember asking God like why He didn't create me to be a boy. I wanted to be a boy, and I didn't understand why I was made a girl. Mm. When I felt inside, I wanted to be a boy. Now, around this same time, correct me if I'm if I'm if I'm wrong. You had mentioned that you also had been given into the occult. Yeah, that's true. Um, when I was eight years old, my dad had me initiate into the occult. Um, what happened was we actually went to a woman. Her name was Mama Carmen. She was really close with my dad. My dad loved her like a son. Um, and she practiced, you know, witchcraft. Initially, it was supposed to be my sister um, because she is the oldest daughter of my father's lineage. And that is supposed to be the most powerful because she's the daughter and she's the oldest. And my sister did not want to do it. And she kept saying, no, this is bad. Something's bad. And she felt like something was wrong. But then I was like, I'll do it. I told my dad, I said, I'll do it because I felt like it was going to help my dad. And that's all I knew as a child. I was like, oh, this is going to help my dad, so I'll do it. And I did. I remember saying that I would serve Satan. also remember very vividly drinking blood. But that's honestly all that I really remember because the memory was so um, suppressed. Wow. Yeah. And and for, for people who've never experienced this or don't know about this, did they tell you how this would help your parents? Because of the sacrifice that was given that I gave my life to Satan, that it was gonna help my dad um, to to gain wealth. Mm. And it did for a short time. Um, he was doing really well with his job. He They were able to purchase a home. So it did help for a short period of time. Yeah, so, so there was some power to it. Yeah, there was. But there was also some consequences. I'm, I'm, Absolutely. Yeah, what, what were some of those consequences that, that you saw from living in a family or that that's involved with the occult? There was no peace in the home. There was no peace in the home. There was so much chaos. Um, my parents were always fighting. You know, the abuse continued. And I think like as we started to get older, I started to become more rebellious. And I was like, I'm not listening to you. Like, you're going to keep hitting my mom. You're not going to do that to me. Like, and I started to get really rebellious. And how old were you around this time? I was like 10. What happened after after that? Like now you're going into middle school years, high school years. What did your life look like? And are you even, are you hearing, are you still hearing the voice of God in this time or 
To be honest with you, I'm not sure. Like, I know that I would get impressions on my heart, like I would feel certain things. But, you know, at the time when I was hearing these things, I didn't know 100% that it was God. When I look back, I knew that I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, you revealed to me that that was you, you know, if that makes sense. But at the time that it was happening, I wasn't sure, like, you know, is it the spirit guides, you know, like, or, you know, is it the ancestral spirits, you know, who is it that's really talking to me? Yeah, there was confusion. Yeah, there was a lot of confusion. Yeah. You mentioned that you begin to question your identity, your sexual yeah. identity. And obviously you're beginning to rebel a little bit more, right? Yeah. Um, what happened next? Well, I remember um, coming home from school one day and I was like, my dad's home. That's weird. Like normally he doesn't come home until later. So I saw his car in front of the house and I was like trying to figure out what's going on. When I came into the home, I could feel like something was eerily, like e it was very eerie. It was very like something was wrong. And I come and I go and I'm like, well, where is everybody? I'm like calling my sister's name. I'm calling, I was like, you know, Poppy, where are you? And everybody was in my mom and dad's room. And my mom had overdosed on a bunch of pills. And she was like really out of it and like really loopy. And my dad was trying to give her coffee. I was like, what's going on? Rosie, get out of here. Like, we don't want you to see this, get out of here. And I was like, no, that's my mom, what's going on? You're gonna tell me what's going on. And then like, they were trying to say, they were trying to give her coffee just to wake her up. And they weren't trying to be honest with me about what happened. But then I was like, my mom is sick. Something's wrong with my mom. You need to call the ambulance. Like, that's all I remember saying. And then my dad grabbed the phone and called the ambulance. After the ambulance had took my mom, my sister had told me what happened. And I remember feeling like if my mom is going to die, I'm going to die too, because I'm not going to stay here with my dad. So I ended up taking a bunch of pills and attempting suicide as well. And I was just 10 years old when that happened. Wow. How did your, your, your father react to that? He changed a lot. I feel like he realized that the decisions that he was making was affecting his children mm. and it was affecting his, you know, his, his family. And I, I noticed that he started to be different. Like he wasn't as aggressive, you know, he wasn't hitting us all the time. I started to kind of feel like there was a little bit more peace in the house. Yeah. I know that sounds crazy, but you know, like there wasn't a lot of fighting. I was still dealing with a lot of depression. I was really angry. Um, I had a lot of rage inside. Um, I always wanted to fight. Um, I got into fights into school. When I was at school, I got in fights. Um, I started smoking. I was stealing my mom's cigarettes. I was stealing my dad's beers. And so I was smoking, I was drinking, and then I started getting high. So, and then from there, like I was just going to parties. I started like getting connected like with the gang life. I wasn't in a gang, but I was around a lot of people that, that were. Mm. And then my son's father, he was the, the leader of a gang. And we were together for a long time. I ended up getting pregnant um, at the age of 14. Wow. Um, it was 15 when I had him. How did your family react to that? I was scared to tell my, my family because my dad always threatened me and my sisters that if we ever got pregnant, that he would like kick us out. So I was really scared um, to tell my dad. And I, I remember praying. I was like praying. I was like, God, I'm gonna have this baby. And I'm afraid that, you know, I was just talking to him. Like I was afraid that I was gonna, to get kicked out. Yeah. But then when I, I told my mom, she was like, we have to tell your dad, we can't hide it from him. And I remember when I told my dad, he started crying and he hugged me. 
And he said something to me that was like really surprising because I thought he was going to be angry. Like I thought he was going to start hitting me. I thought he was going to start spanking me. Like I I was scared, but he told me, um, he was like, you know, Mary got pregnant at the age of 15 and had Jesus. He said, this baby is a blessing. And he called my baby a blessing, even though I felt like, you know, what I was doing was could have been a mistake, you know. Did your baby help you uh, change your life or, or did you continue on the path? I'm going to be honest with you. The fact that I had um, my son, it calmed me down a lot because if I didn't have my son, I firmly believe that I would have I would have killed somebody like because I was I was full of so much rage and anger. Like I would have killed somebody or I would have been in jail or somebody would have killed me because that was the lifestyle that I was living. Mm. And I really believe that my son, like he helped me, like he helped calm me down. Wow. I was still like going to parties. You know, I was still doing drugs. I was doing ecstasy. Uh, marijuana was my main drug of choice, but, you know, I was still doing those things. You know, I was, I ended up being like really promiscuous because the relationship didn't work out with my son's father. So I started being promiscuous and just went down a trail of, of that. I really started to kind of get tired of that life. And I was like, I want to do better for my son. I started working more and I started to try to focus on my, my son more. Rosa, two years after you had your first child, um, you shared with me that you were abused once again. Yeah. What happened there? Um, I was with this guy. Um, he was he was a member of the Crips, and we were together for some time. I trusted him. Uh, we ended up going. It was a trap house. We ended up going to a trap house because he sold drugs, and so we were just chilling there. And like we started drinking. His friend had put something in my drink. And um, they they both raped me. How did this affect you? Because now you have a child as well. I think in that moment, I was in denial of what happened. I was trying to process it, and I didn't know how to. I just at that like I just kept living my life of like you know I just I would get high, and that's how I numb the pain. Like I would just get high, I would wake up and smoke. If I didn't wake up and smoke, I was like I would, I would be angry because I was always so angry all the time. If I didn't. Smoke, I had to have something, like a drink or, you know, that's how I always felt. Like, that's how angry I was all the time. Um, so to be honest with you, I didn't know how to process that or what happened to me. I didn't know how to process it. Did you share that with anybody at that time? No. You just kind of kept it to yourself? Yeah. How, how did your life continue from there? Because um, now you're just, you know, you're, you're accumulating trauma. You're not, you're not sharing it with anybody. Yeah. Did the rage just continue to grow? Yeah. So, you know, my mom was like, you know, you need to see a therapist. You need, They tried to put me on medication. Um, I was on depression medication. They said that I was bipolar, borderline schizophrenic. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was I was in and out of therapy. You know, I, I took medication for ADHD, for, you know, depression, for bipolar, um, for sleep because I didn't sleep. So, you know, I was on a lot of different medications. I ended up having my second son at 18. That was another abusive relationship. He was also a member of um, Crips. My cousins was like, you need to leave him alone. Like, he's a murderer. Like, he's a drug dealer. Like, you need to stay away from him. And I didn't listen. Mm. Um, it was really emotionally, like, mentally abusive. And it was some, and like, we got into fights before. Um, like physical? Yeah. I remember, like, he called me 
out my name and I hit him in his face. And then like he pushed me down the steps and I was I was pregnant with my son wow. um, at that time. I remember like kept telling him like, I can't be with you anymore. And he was like, but you have my son. I said, I don't care, I can't be with you anymore. You know, I just, I had to get out. I, I had to get out because it was so unhealthy. It was really affecting my my oldest son. It was affecting, you know, me. And I was pregnant, I was going through so much trauma, like I couldn't eat. And I know that that was like affecting, you know, my son. So my father, he took me to El Salvador and I felt like that was the only way that I could get away from this man was to leave the country. I know that sounds crazy, but that's how fearful I was because he kept threatening to kill me. He's like, if you leave me, I'm gonna kill you. And I believed it. And when we went to El Salvador, I lived there for four months. And then that's when I had my um, my second son. We ended up going back to the United States. When we went back, you know, we were homeless. Um, we didn't have anywhere to go. So we were living out of hotels for a little bit. I was able to get my old job back. And then um, with a friend's help, we were able to get an apartment. Unfortunately, we couldn't keep the rent. So we ended up getting evicted. And then that's when I, that's around the time that I came out to my family that I was bisexual. And they were like shocked. My mom was like, no, this is not true. And like, my dad was like, that's against God. And and I was just like, but this is who I've always been. I just couldn't tell you guys. Like, I always had an attraction towards females and I couldn't tell my family. Like, my family was just really shocked and my cousins didn't believe me. I was like, okay. And I was having relationships with girls and I ended up um, moving to New York with this girl. And I lived there for about four years, like on and off. And that was like a really toxic relationship. And this is after you have your your two sons? Yeah. Did you take them with you? Yeah, they were with me. So, yeah, it was my two sons and me and her. We were together for four years, like on and off. And um, I ended up moving back to Maryland. I just remember feeling so tired. Like, I was so tired of the life that I was living. And I kept looking at my children like they deserve better. And I just felt like so tired, like of being in pain, of being angry, of like, tired of always having to rely upon a pill, like depression medication. I was tired of that. I felt so tired of like, if I didn't have the depression medication, like I had to have weed, you know, every day, like I had to wake up and smoke or I I felt like I wasn't sane. You know, I was tired of that life. I remember going through the shelter system and when you're in the shelter system, you have to be clean in order to get assistance. And I was honest with them. I was like, I'm still smoking. Like I need help. Like, and I need you to help me, but I can't stop smoking. Like, I'm too depressed mm. to stop smoking. And that's when they put me, um, I was in a halfway house called the Avery House for Women and Children. That's when I was pregnant. I became pregnant with my third son. It was by a different guy. How old were you at that time? I was uh, 22. So I completed that program successfully in the Avery House. I was pregnant with my son. I think when I was in the Avery House, that's when I, I gave birth to my son. And then, like, they had assisted us with, like, obtaining housing and stuff like that. But again, that relationship that I was in with my third son's father was very toxic as well um, and very unhealthy. And I remember, like, when I was pregnant with my son, I started to read the Bible. And I never had done that before. So I was, like, reading the Bible a lot, and I started praying a lot. And I had, like, a devotion, like, devotional book. I started to, like, read that. And I just felt like I needed to be closer to God. All my life, I had felt like something was missing. I kept trying to fill a void. Like, you know, I kept trying to cover up the pain or numb the pain. 
or not even think about it. So I was always getting high or using drugs or it was sex or it was, you know, men or it was women. But none of that helped me. It made me feel worse. So what was the way out? <sighs> I will never forget the day I was talking to God and I was rolling a J up. I know that sounds funny, but I was. And I said, God, I don't want to smoke anymore, but I feel like I need to smoke. And I said, I need you to do something. Like, I know you're there. I know you exist. I believe you hear me. Like, I need you to do something. The only thing that I knew was the Catholic Church. So I told my papi, I was like, I'm going to go to Mass. Do you want to come with me? And he was like, no, nah, I'm not going. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to Mass. I'm taking the kids with me. We're going to Mass. I remember when I stepped foot in the Catholic church that was in our area, I automatically, I felt it. I was like, there's more to God than this. And I sat down, I listened to the, um, the priest and he spoke. I got up and left and I was like, this is not it. There's something more. Mm. I remember feeling that walking home from the church because the church was in walking distance to the apartments that we lived at. And I remember feeling that. I was like, there's something more. There's something more. It was literally like that week my sister came <laughs> and she said, Rosie, you got to come with me. You got to come with me. I was like, what are you talking about? Mind you, I'm like rolling a J again. She was like, um, you know, I came over here because I wanted to see you guys. I told myself I was going to smoke one last time, but the Holy Spirit convicted me and I can't smoke anymore. And I'm telling you, you got to come with me to this church. You have to come with me. And I'm looking at her like, what did they do to you? because her face was just like bright and it was glowing. Mm. Now, mind you, my sister was always very depressed too and suicidal as well. So, but when I saw her face and I saw her face like glowing, I was like, just looking at her like, what happened? I was like, I'm coming. Like, I'm gonna come. She's like, no, I'm serious, I'm serious, you gotta come. I was like, I'm gonna come, sister, I'm gonna come. She was like, okay, I'm gonna see if they can pick you up in the van and blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. Coming into the church, I started crying right away. I was like, why am I crying? Like, and I just remember feeling angry and I was like, why is everybody so happy? Like, I was so angry and I was looking at people and they were like clapping and they were like, you know, praising God. And I was like, just remember feeling so angry. Like, what are they happy about? And someone had came up to me and they were like, I haven't seen you before, what's your name? And they gave me a hug, it's so nice to meet you. And they gave me a hug and I was like, what do you want? Like, you know, because I'm just coming from the streets. Like, no one's just nice to you like that. Right. You know, so it was really weird and awkward for me to experience that. But I remember the um, the pastor was preaching. And then, like, towards the end, he had said, like, you know, if anybody wants to give your life to Christ or wants to receive prayer, you know, come to the front. And I was like, I told my sister, I was like, um, you know, I want, I want to go up there, but I'm too scared because I didn't know what was going to happen. She was like, I'll go with you. So she went up there with me. He started praying for me. And I just remember physically feeling so much love and so much peace. It just came over me so strong that I felt and I was laying there and I was just crying and crying. And it's like I could literally feel the like a presence like on top of me. It was a weight. I couldn't move. And I was just laying there. I was stuck. I was just crying and crying and crying. And I had felt so much love. I was like, oh my God, this is it. 
this is what I needed. Like, this is what I needed my whole life. What I was felt like I was like looking for, didn't realize it. It was so crazy because like they just kept praying. The service kept going. And then the service ended and like people were leaving. I was still laying there. Like everyone was gone and I was still laying there. And then one of the ministers came up to me and she was like, you're going to be okay. And I just started crying more. And I was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't move. It was so strong. Like I just knew it was the presence of God. It was so strong over me. And um, yeah, she helped me up. And then it was like, I felt like there was so much like that I needed to do. Like I, I in, in my heart, I was like, I felt like there's there was work that I needed to do with God, you know, like, cause I was so, I was still feeling like there was anger there, there was frustration, but he began to break a lot of it off. I remember it was like a couple weeks after I was saved. I was I was still going to the church. I never I hadn't left. Like once that that day I went and I I kept going, but I kept taking like my depression medication. I remember I was still smoking cigarettes and I was like God I don't want to smoke anymore. I need you to take this from me. And he took the taste of marijuana. He took the taste of the other drugs. He took the taste of alcohol. But it was like cigarettes. I still had a problem with. And I said God I know you can do this. And I like. I gave it to him. And I remember I had one outside and I was like, I'm just going to smoke this one last cigarette. And I kept hearing God say, don't do that. You don't need that. Like, all you need is me. Like, I heard him tell me those things and I was like, I'm just going to do it. And I went out and I did it like anyway. And I literally could barely, it was like something took the breath out of my lungs. I could barely inhale. And I was just like, okay, God, I I see you really don't want me to do this anymore. Mm. So I went back into my apartment. I got on my knees and I started crying. And I said, you have to take this addiction from me because I don't want to hurt you anymore. Because I felt like what I was doing was hurting God. The next thing that happened um, that I remember very vividly was him telling me I was taking my depression medication like every day. And I had stopped taking the sleep medicine. I was like, oh, I don't need this. Like he restored my sleep. Mm. I was able to sleep at night. And then... I was taking, I was going to go take it. It was on my dresser. I was going to go grab it. And he said, you don't need that anymore. And I was like, are you sure, God? Like, I'm asking God if he's sure. But like, because I was so used to taking it every day. Right. And I felt like I really had to like take it every day or I wasn't going to be stable, like, you know, emotionally or mentally. And I heard him again. I heard him a second time. I said, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to take it. Since that day, I hadn't needed it since and I really feel like he healed me, like he healed me from depression. He took that from me. That rage and that anger that I had, it was like, it was a process, but he broke that off of me. Mm. It took time because there were some deep-rooted things that needed to be healed. There was a lot of pain I had that needed to be healed, but he did it. He restored He restored that, and he gave me peace inside. And... um. Did he, did he, um, we kind of left on the cliffhanger, but did he heal you from the cigarettes? He did. Yeah. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, he did. Cause I remember I went in that day and I cried out and I was, um, I was speaking in tongues and I was just praying and praying and praying. And I was like, God, take this from me. And I remember crying, laying on my, my bedroom floor. Like, I don't know how else to like put this, but I just felt like such an addict, like I was strung out, like, God, take this from me. Like, and I was like, oh, like, you know, crying out to him. 
And I started coughing and coughing and coughing and like, and then like I ended up falling asleep on my bedroom floor and I woke up and I had no desire. I remember having no desire to um to smoke again. And I remember the smell of it, like everything, even now, like I hate the smell of cigarettes, but it just like repulses me. I'm like, ugh, like cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about, uh, so the molestation, right? And, and just you being abused. How did he begin to heal that? Because those were some, some deep wounds. Um, I believe he began to heal that by showing me who I am in him. He began restoring my identity because I feel like I had lost my identity at a young age. I didn't know who I was. And that same sex attraction that I had, I didn't have it any longer. Like, I remember telling some of my friends and, you know, some of the girls that I was talking to, I was like, you know, I, I care about you. It's all love and respect. But, you know, I had to cut ties with a lot of them. I, and I, even a lot of my friends, I was like, I, I'm sorry, like, I have to... To, to do this. I gave my life to Christ. A lot of them like respect and I was like, wow, I'm like, I'm really happy for you. A lot of them, I got a chance to like kind of share what God did for me. And, you know, they were happy for me. They respected it. But I believe like he healed that, you know, he gave me the strength to forgive my mother and my father, you know, the people that abused me, that hurt me, that used me, mistreated me. He gave me the strength to forgive, you know, because we can say we forgive but sometimes it takes the strength of God to be able to really let that person go, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I believe God, he did that for me. He gave me the strength to, to forgive my uncle and the guys that raped me. You know, he, he gave me the strength to forgive the father of my children. And he gave me the strength to forgive myself. As Jesus began to, to work in your life, who was he saying Rosa is? So I remember shortly after I was saved, after I attended that service, I began reading my Bible. I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know these books. There's apparently, there's a lot of books. There's certain books. And like, I didn't, I didn't know, like there was different verses and stuff like that. But he gave me Jeremiah chapter one. And I remember him speaking to me through Jeremiah chapter one. And he said, this is who you are. You are my servant. You are my mouthpiece and I will use you. And I remember feeling his presence so strong. And I remember feeling, is like, you know, when God speaks to you, it's like you feel so much peace, but it's more than just words. You can feel it in your soul and your spirit, your entire being. It's like, you can just feel, feel it. Yeah. And I began to understand that I was created for him, that my identity is found in him. And I started to search the scriptures to try to, you know, see, like, who does God say I am? As you begin to, to search, what else did you find? I found that I was a new creation and old things are passed away. Because one thing that Satan tried to do was make me feel shame about my past. He would make me feel shameful the life that I lived, that I was promiscuous, that I was with other women for a long time. Like, I, I couldn't share that because he made me feel so much shame. So it was like God was showing me that when you accepted me as your savior, all things have became new. Come on. And all of that old is passed away. And he showed me a scripture, forgive me, but I don't know it. Like, um, But it, it talks about how he throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers our sins no more for his namesake. And for me, it was just like, wow, it's like I have a, a, a fresh start. 
You know, it's like I felt like a, a different person. And I, I began my path of sanctification. How old were you when you uh, surrendered your life to Jesus in, the, in that church? I was 23. And today you are? I'm 35. How, how has the relationship with your, your, your sons and, and you're married now? Yeah. Right, you you have a, a a wonderful husband. Yeah. Um. Tell us about about that. Tell us a little bit about your family and what God is doing with your family. Uh, what He has done in these last couple of years and what He's doing today. He's done so much. Um. He's restored so much. Even with my boys, you know, they have their own powerful testimony of what God has done in their life. But, you know, just being able to to teach them to know who God is, is such a blessing. You know, coming to the knowledge of knowing that my children are a blessing, they come from God. You know, I, I came from homelessness, you know, addiction, poverty. And it was like, God just started restoring so much. And he did so, he's done so much for me. Like, you know, today I've been married with my husband for 10 years now. And I remember when I used to pray for my husband, and, you know, we're married now. You know, we live in a beautiful home. I remember when I was walking everywhere, I was on the bus. Now we have two cars. You know, it's just like I just think about his grace and his mercy. I own my own business now. I remember when I felt so hopeless, I didn't think that I could get my GED. And I went to college. You know, it's because of the strength of God. He helped me to believe in myself. He restored my hope. Like, I felt so hopeless. I remember feeling like, Oh gosh, I'm I like I dropped out of high school. Like I'm not gonna be able to get my GED. And he allowed me to go to college. That is just something powerful in its own. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came in contact with your husband and, and, and how did that come about? Because that's a huge <laughs> redemption, right? After after going through so much abuse for the Lord to bring a man who loves you, um, that is powerful redemption. It's funny because I, I met him um, at the church that I was going to. I remember during the service, I was an usher and it was our responsibility, like for the newcomers, you know, we take them into the room so they can meet, you know, the pastor, the co-pastor. And I saw him, I was like, oh, he's new. So I was like, okay, let me go, you know, after service, I was like, let me go, you know, take him to the room. And I was like, hi, I was like, I'm Rosa. I'm one of the ushers. Um, I want to take you to the room so you can meet the pastor. And he was like, oh, that's my dad. And I was like, huh? He was like, yeah, that's that's my dad. And I was like, hold on, my pastor's your dad? <laughs> like, I was confused. Because this whole time that I was at the church, he was living in North Carolina. So after that, like, we just kind of, like, connected. Um, we started talking all the time. And I remember, like, asking God, like, is this the one? Like, And I remember hearing God clearly say, like, yes, but to wait. So I was like so excited. I was like, God said yes. That was all I heard, right? I was like, God said yes, this is my husband. But I, I was trying to play it cool, right? So like I'm still talking to him and we're chatting and stuff like that. And I remember I was um, I was working in the pantry because they had a food bank there. So I was working in the pantry in the closet. And he told me he was going to meet me at the church because he was like looking for a job at the time or something. And he had came off the elevator. And I remember he came to the closet. And he was like, what's up, girl? I was like, Hi. And then like, I, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but I got so weak in my knees, I fell back into the boxes. He was like, are you okay? I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I know that sounds crazy, but it was like, 
literally our, our souls connected, like our spirits connected. I had never felt that way about a person ever in my life. I knew this was my person. And it was like God had answered my prayers. And he had expressed the same thing to me. Like, you know, I've always wanted a woman like you. And he had felt like God had told him the same thing, that we were meant to be together. But yeah, I mean, it was just, it brought a lot of healing, you know, because I didn't think that I could, I didn't think that I could be loved. I had three children and three different fathers. I didn't think anybody would ever love me. I was so broken and so abused. And there was still so much that God was, you know, healing inside of me. I didn't think that I could be loved. How did he react to your past? He was just like, not kind of like, you think that's bad. Let me tell you my story. <laughs> like, he didn't say that, but it was kind of like, he was so cool about it. He was just like, he he literally knows every and anything like about me. And he's my best friend. Like, there's no secrets, you know? And it's, it's like vice versa. And like, we would stay up for hours and he would like tell me his story and things that he went through. And he has a powerful testimony too. He was just very loving and accepting. Yeah. Rosa, who is Jesus to you? <laughs> Jesus is the lover of my soul. I remember there was a dream I had and I, I had took a bunch of drugs. I think I was like on ecstasy. I probably smoked PCP that night. I was high and I had a dream. And in the dream, I could literally feel like I could see demons and my soul was falling like into hell. And I was like screaming like, ah, like that. And I could feel them pulling at me like that, trying to pull me down into hell. And I woke up, I remember so scared. And that was like when I was in the world. And then when I came to Christ, he reminded me of that dream. And ever since then, I was like, you are the lover of my soul. You love me unconditionally. He knew my past, present, and future and still chose me. <laughs> it's like sometimes that question would come up like, why me? <laughs> but I've heard it said before that he chooses the foolish things of the world. And he, he chose me because I definitely was foolish. <laughs> for, for women who are watching your testimony right now, Rosa, uh, and who are relating to parts of your story, what can you say to the women who are watching your testimony right now. Your value and your worth is not found in what a man thinks of you. Your value and your worth is not found in what the world says you are. It's, it's found only in who God says you are. Your, your value and your worth is found in, only in Christ. It's only found in God. Any last words to our audience? There's nothing impossible for God. There's nothing too hard. If you feel like you're unlovable or you're undeserving, that's a lie. He loves us. No matter how broken or damaged we might think we are, God loves us. And the amazing thing about him is that he loves us right where we are. He doesn't tell us to get it right and then come to him. He loves us all in our mess and still accepts us and loves us.